0: Welcome to the Pharma Forum podcast and the first episode of 2024. In this new installment, I speak with Dr. Pandora Pound, a fellow at the Oxford Centre for Animal Ethics and research director at the Safer Medicines Trust, a charity working towards human biology based drug development and testing. Our conversation dives into the limitations of animal research when it comes to drug development for human health looking at the importance of species differentiation within that and the nuances of regulations and legalities. We also explore alternatives permitted by advancing technologies, such as organoids or organs-on-a-chip, and even AI approaches and the practical benefits of a shift in this direction as well as towards more personalised medicine and, indeed, prevention. The episode hopefully provides food for thought at the start of a new year positing as it does how cutting out the animals and research could in fact improve chances of success in pharmaceutical R&D. If you're tuning in, thank you for listening. This is your host, web editor Nicole Raleigh, and today I have with me as guest Dr. Pandora Pound, a fellow at the Oxford Centre for Animal Ethics and research director at the Safer Medicines Trust, a charity that aims to improve the safety of medicines by facilitating a transition to human biology based drug development and testing. Welcome, Pandora.
1: Hello, thanks for having me, Nicole. So
0: today we're going to be discussing why medicines and pharmaceutical drugs have progressed so little in the past few decades and asking just what is holding back their development. Now, the Oxford Centre for Animal Ethics is an independent centre pioneering ethical perspectives on animals through academic research, teaching and publication. It comprises more than 100 academic fellows worldwide and aims to put the ethical concern for animals on the intellectual agenda. And when it comes to the pharmaceutical industry and drug development, such ethical concerns really do come to the fore. But before we begin this discussion in earnest... For our listeners, Pandora, it would probably do to invite a little bit more information about you. In 2004, for example, you transformed the debate on animal experiments as lead author of a landmark paper published in the British Medical Journal. And that paper led to a series of systematic reviews that ultimately exposed the scientific limitations of using animals in medical research. Additionally earlier this year, you published the popular science book, Rat Trap, published with Matador, in which you comprehensively dismantle the case for animal research and showcase some awe-inspiring technologies that will effectively bypass animals and, here I quote, revolutionise medicine once we escape the stranglehold of the current
1: paradigm. So please tell us more. Thank you. Thank you for that lovely introduction. Yes, well, I, I mean, I really wanted to write Rat Trap because I felt there was a lot of evidence building in the you know, scientific journals and so on. That I wanted to get out of those scientific journals and into the hands of the public, really. And that was evidence really relating to the limitations of animal research and also increasing evidence that it wasn't translating very reliably to humans. So, um, yeah, that, that's it in a nutshell about why I wanted to write the book why I became interested in this whole topic um, was really goes back to the late 1990s when um, I was working as a postdoctoral researcher at St. Thomas's Hospital Medical School in London.
0: (laughs) And with a pause for Wilbur the dog to have his says also, Pandora, please continue.
1: So, um, yes, I was working as a postdoctoral researcher at St. Thomas's Hospital Medical School um my background's in social science, and I was actually working um with a team of people on stroke at the time. anyway, my um office was quite near the animal lab, and um I used to walk past down this long corridor past lots of closed doors, and it took me a while to realize that these doors didn't have any sort of identifying nameplates or anything on them, and they were always locked. And there were these sort of service tunnels also that used to run underneath the medical school. And every now and then they would pop up and very occasionally I would see animals being brought in or out. But it got me thinking really about this whole subject. And as a researcher, you know, I was quite curious about it also because it was quite a taboo subject. And so I went to look at the literature and to see if there was, you know, robust evidence about its benefits for humans. because That's the angle I was interested in. And I found at the time that there was really some very general statements, you know, such as it was responsible for all medical progress of the last century and so on, but without any really strong, robust scientific evidence to support these statements. And that's really when um, I got together with some other researchers and we began to look at this and then make the case for systematic reviews, really, to try and locate some more robust evidence, really, in the field. So that's um, and that's how we came to write this paper in the British Medical Journal in 2004, and um, yeah, I've been sort of interested in in that ever since, really. Thank you. So let's
0: start at the foundations, perhaps, of this topic, and that topic being animals in medicine research. Thinking about it, what, in your opinion, is holding back drug development when it comes to this?
1: I I think it is mainly a reliance on animal research because it's very problematic because of the differences between the species. It means that um, drug development can't progress in a very reliable and consistent way because there are always going to be uncertainties introduced by species differences. That's not to say that animal research has never been associated with any medical advances. It's just that it doesn't do so reliably and consistently. And we can see that in terms of low rate of, of drug approvals in relation to the, you know, the, the trials that have started. And so for me, it's always really been about, it's not really about you know improving animal research, improving animal models, because I think that even if those are improved, there's still going to be really a problem because of, there's always going to be the uncertainties of species differences, which is a fundamental issue, I think, which always introduces that uncertainty. Mm-hmm. So this is, as you say, one of the central
0: reasons for why drugs that work on animals often don't work on humans, that sort of biological difference and the differences between non-human animals themselves. I mean, it's mm-hmm. often said that a lot of mice have been cured, but not much else. So yeah. I was wondering if you could provide an example of when drugs were approved as safe after animal tests. You just said a minute ago mm-hmm. there were very few um, But if we pause also to think that in those that were approved as safe after animal tests, some were later found to be harmful to humans. Indeed, over 90% of drugs that have been tested for safety and efficacy in animals go on to fail when tested
1: in humans, don't they? Yes, um, even more than that. I think it's like 92% or something now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, But yes, I mean, to go back to your earlier question, I think it was an arthritis drug, um, Viox, was approved and licensed for use in America um, and had to, be, had to be withdrawn because it ended up causing thousands of excess cases of coronary heart disease, some of which were fatal. And this was a drug that had gone through all the tests and had actually been found to have a protective effect on mice, I think, on their hearts. And so it was having a very different effect on the hearts of humans. There was also um, troglitazone, uh, which was developed as a drug for diabetes. Again, it passed all the animal tests, it was released, I think, in the late 90s in the United States, it had to be withdrawn a couple of years later because it was causing liver damage in humans. And so, you know, it is, it's its is—it's—it's not rare that drugs go on, to, they pass them, you know, they pass all the trials, they they're approved. But once they're used in large numbers in the, you know, in the wider population, you can only then really detect these issues that weren't um, detected by the animal studies. Thank you. So what are the alternatives to testing on animals then?
0: I mean, the ABPI has stated that research involving animals is a vital part of biomedical research and medicine development that helps us to understand and improve the prevention and treatment of diseases in animals and humans. And as you well know, it's a regulatory requirement to test potential new medicines in animals before they can be tested in humans, with most tested in two species prior to human testing. In the UK... In fact, the use of animals in experiments and testing is regulated under the Animals Scientific Procedures Act 1986, ASPA, with implementation regulated by the Home Office in England, Scotland and Wales, and by the Department for Health, Social Security and Public Safety in Northern Ireland. Under that Act, the principles of the three R's, those being replacement, reduction and refinement, provide a framework for conducting humane animal research. And importantly, promote the use of alternative methods to reduce the number of animals used. So what are your comments here? And perhaps provide comment also on that aspect of humane animal research, but not not too broadly.
1: Hmm, there's a lot in that question. Big question. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, first of all... Um, Interestingly, I mean, you say that animal research is required by regulation. There was a question in the, um, in Parliament in October. And in fact, one of the ministers, he actually he was asked a question in, about whether animal research was required by law. And he said, in fact, there, there were no laws in the UK requiring animals to be used. So that's um, thrown things into a bit of confusion. It's a very, it's a very tricky area difference, I think, between mm. regulatory requirements and legal requirements. So that's one thing. Um, oh, it was Will Quint, Minister of State for the Department of Health and Social Care. He said there is no United Kingdom legislation that mandates animal testing. Leaving that aside, <laughs> we do, of course, have um, regulations gov- governing animal research, but they don't really promote the use of alternatives. Although animal experiments are only supposed to be used as a last resort, only, you know, only if there are no other ways of conducting the research, in fact, you know, if you're a scientist applying for a home office license, you're not really required to show in any great detail that you've considered different approaches or, you know, non-animal approaches and found them wanting. So it's it's quite easy just to bypass that question. So I would say that the the regulations don't enforce the um the aspect of only using animals if there's nothing else available and we know there are other approaches available, which are talk about but the main issue is that they are directly relevant to humans because they use um, either human tissues or human cells or they use data derived from humans so you know there's a whole range of things now not just the tried and tested approaches that we know about like clinical trials and post-mortem studies and so on but also new technologies such as organoids and organs on a chip these mm-hmm. sort of in, in vitro approaches which uses which use human cells and human tissues so organs on a chip for example are these tiny little chips about the size of a you know a memory stick um, and they have these microscopic hollow channels that are lined with cells from human organs um, and through which air and nutrients are are passed and they 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 are designed to sort of really replicate the Um, environment the cell in the human body so sort of home from home for the cell and then you can use these to test you know you can test medicines um, new drugs on these organs to test for toxicity for example you can also look at mechanisms and so on and in fact there was a really lovely study done I think it was last year by Lorna Hewitt and her team from company Emulate who are an organ on chip company and they looked I think it was 27 drugs that had being tested and known to either cause or not cause toxicity, um, having been tested in animals. And they tested these drugs on the liver chips and found that they were able to um, predict toxicity for, I think it was seven out of every eight drugs, and in that sense, far outperformed the animal studies in their predictive ability. And there, and there are many other instances where organ chips have been able to identify toxicity In retrospect, drugs that were known to cause problems in humans, despite being tested as safe in animals. So that's organ chips. There's also in silico um, modeling. So that's when you can build computer models, feeding in data about the known characteristics of drugs or types of drugs, and also um, known information about the human body and the way humans react to drugs um, in order to create models, again, that you can use to try and predict how um, a new drug might react in the human body. And then there are also AI approaches, which are ways like um, you can feed in data that will teach the model, um, so the model's continuously learning. You give it new data, and it learns from the new data all the time. Um, and AI has been used to actually sift through drugs during COVID to try and identify from thousands of different drugs and drug types what might be a useful um, approach, and a useful treatment for COVID. And I think after sifting through thousands of drugs, the AI came up with a sort of handful of potential treatments. One of which was an anti-malarial drug, amodiaquine, I think, um, and that's now being tested in clinical trials. So these approaches actually also take um, a fraction of the time that animal studies would take, you know, and they're much cheaper for that reason as well. Yeah. So that's <laughs> some of. The yes.
0: Approaches. No. I mean, <laughs> everything you've been describing there is part of this surge. Of interest in these alternatives, uh, particularly following the um, publication in June in Nature Medicine, uh, that the US Food and Drug Administration, or FDA, had reduced requirements for preclinical animal testing. Mm. Um, On your last point there about the time saving that these potentially bring, how important is this, this sort of um, early identification, early detection, when it comes to drug development, thinking about alternatives to testing on animals, and then thinking about disease detection as opposed to drug development going towards a
1: cure? Well, I'm thinking about early detection, now that's an area I think is really powerful because, I mean, most animal models, are, are they kind of replicate a human disease at its advanced stages by the time the disease has already got quite a strong hold on people. And so it would make sense for us to try and detect disease much earlier, you know, when it's at its very earliest stages before it's got its claws into us. And this is something Professor Azra Raza in the United States um, is working on. So she developed, she's a cancer specialist, leukaemia in particular, and she developed a blood test which is actually now being trialed on the NHS, to detect, I think, up to about 50 different types of cancer at their very earliest stages in, amongst people who have no diagnosis of cancer. If, if that sort of thing is successful, that could be a real game-changer because, you know, so many cancers can't be detected until they're quite advanced and some are very hard to detect and diagnose. So to be able to detect, you know, with a single blood test at their earlier stages would be amazing because then you could just intervene much, much earlier. It would be much less invasive, much more likely to be successful. And so, and I think they're also, I heard in the news a couple of weeks ago, there's a similar approach been taken with Alzheimer's to try and detect the first sort of footprints of Alzheimer's using a blood test. Again, you know, if there were then treatments that could help people at the very earliest stages of Alzheimer's or even lifestyle changes, those would be huge of game-changing approaches to try and, you know, get to disease before we even have to, you know, have to even develop drugs for it in some stages. I mean, but in, in some cases, for cancer, you might be able to do a very small operation. And for Alzheimer's, there might be lifestyle changes. So it might not even, you know, entail drug development if we can actually, uh, you know, detect things that early. As you say, amazing indeed, and
0: game-changing and um, negating any need or uh, argument for need of animal research so finally for you and for the oxford center for animal ethics what's the future now i don't want to say what's the future of drug development look like but what's the future of then um medicine and healthcare? what's that look like non-human animals removed in 10 or 20 years from now
1: well, I think, you know, partly these early detection approaches, which would be amazing. Also, you know, precision medicine, where we can actually develop treatments that are going to, you know, we're going to be able to identify how a, a drug might interact with a unique individual sort of genetic makeup and so on. I think there's already work being done on um, looking at the particular qualities of a, of a patient's tumor, for instance, so that the, the very specific drugs can be used to try and treat that person's tumour so personalised precision medicine these early detection and then of course then when it comes to drug development using these very human relevant approaches such as organs on chips, in silico models using human data that you know that we've accumulated over decades now alongside all our you know tried and tested approaches like prevention epidemiology clinical trials and so on and i think you know not only would that mean that we, animals don't have to suffer. It would also, I think, and we think at Safe Medicines Trust, mean that you know we'd have a much greater success rate in treating humans. At the moment, as we touched on, you know, very few drugs actually get approved, which means that there's huge unmet need, you know, for humans, even for our most common diseases. A lack of treatment for stroke, lack of treatment for cancers, um, sepsis, Alzheimer's. You know, these aren't rare; these are common diseases. And after decades of animal research, we just don't have treatments for them. And we all know someone who's got one of those diseases. And it's you know just an enormous suffering. And so I just feel that if we make medicine and medical research much more relevant to humans and cut out the animals, I think we would have a much greater chance of success. Thank you, Pandora. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much, Nicole. Thanks for the question.
0: so that concludes another episode of the farmer forum podcast you can find out more information about this episode including a download link and information about previous installments of the series at pharmaforum.com forward slash podcasts the farmer forum podcast is also available on itunes spotify Acast, Stitcher, and Podbean, where you can find and subscribe by searching for Farmer Forum. Of course, don't forget to visit our website itself, where you can sign up for daily news and analysis bulletins, and follow us on Twitter, or X nowadays, at at Pharma Forum. That's all for now. Thank you for listening.